Life is full of disappointments and wounds and hurts. And we know there is an enemy who steals and kills and destroys. But Jesus has given us life and hope and peace. And we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and darkness. We've been called to be overcomers, and we can and we will. Over the last few weeks, we've been in the midst of a, uh, a series in, entitled The Invisible War. It is a, a series on spiritual warfare. And you may remember that on the first message, I introduced to you a guy named Craig Childs, and this is a picture of Craig Childs. He's an expert in mountain lions, and as we looked at the story, he had a moment in which he was face-to-face with a mountain lion, and there was no protection, there was no way to get away, but yet he survived, and he survived only because he understood mountain lions, and he did not run. The Bible says that we have an enemy that is like a lion who wants to destroy us as well. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. What God has called us to do is to know our enemy. And that's what this series is about. We're to know our enemy. And then we are not to run. Rather, we are to stand firm in the faith, in the trust, in the awareness that greater is he who is in us, the Holy Spirit of God, than he who is in the world. We're in this series on spiritual warfare. Over the last couple of months, My family, Kathy and I, have replaced our dryer, our washing machine, our refrigerator, and now our heat and air conditioning system in our home. So have we been involved in spiritual warfare? I don't think so. Actually, the truth is that washer and dryer were 15 years old, and they don't last forever. And the heat and air, that's 16 years old, and I think we got good service with that. I wish they would have organized themselves a little bit better and not all died at the same time. Now, the refrigerator, 17 months old. Months. Dead on a doornail. But we had a full replacement warranty on our refrigerator So, yay, it's not all bad. Now, dealing with the warranty company over these five weeks to do what they said they would do, that is spiritual warfare. (laughs) 
in our series, the first part, the first four weeks of the series is all about knowing our enemy. We've already talked about and seen what the Bible has to say about who Satan is and how he fell and, and, and uh, what his goals are, what his strategies are in defeating us. We, we've already paused for just a moment last week and took a look at angels, the good guys, those who stayed true to God, and we wanted to get a good look at what the Bible teaches about them. So then, then we could walk into today and talk about angels, the bad guys, the fallen angels who the Bible calls demons, and see what they are about and how they are in conspiracy with Satan to destroy our lives. And I want to talk about that today. But listen, next Sunday and for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about how is it that we can be in the midst of a spiritual war, a spiritual battle, and we can come out victorious every time. How you and I can live in that moment, those moments one after another of Satan coming against our life, but that we can be victorious. And you and I know people in our lives who are struggling and they're going through all kinds of problems and they need this message. And I'm going to encourage you, please invite people to come the next three Sundays that you know are going through hard times and difficult times and they need what God has to say to them about living in victory in the midst of it all. This morning, I want to talk to you about the dark side. I want to talk to you about those who fell with Satan that the Bible calls demons. And here is the first truth that the Bible gives to us, that Satan has an army. He has an army. You remember that I, I made the statement early in, in this series that Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere. Sometimes I hear Christians that give to, to Satan the, the uh, notoriety of having the same characteristics as God who is omnipresent, who is all-powerful. But Satan is not. He's a created being. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. If Satan is in Detroit, he cannot be in Houston at the same time. If he's in Houston, he cannot be in Paris at the same time. If in Paris, he cannot be in Moscow at the same time. He is limited in time time and space. Let's understand who this enemy is. You say, well, if he is so limited, how is it that he has had such a powerful influence all over this world that the Bible would say that Satan is the God, little g, of this world's system? The reason is simply this. Although Satan is limited he has an evil organization, an evil network that the Bible calls principalities and powers. You remember in that first message, we were talking about the fact that at the time he fell, unbelievably, he hoodwinked, he, he deceived one-third of the angelic population who fell with him, who uh, 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 went against God alongside him. For the life of me, I can't figure it out. Can you? I mean, here they are. They've seen God. Here they are. They've seen the creator of all things, and of all things, they side with Satan. For the life of me, I don't get it. But one-third of the angelic population did that very thing. How many is that? We don't know, but it's a bunch. And the Bible, as it begins to unfold what it is that it teaches about 
about demons, it explains to us that there are really two groups of demons. One group of demon, one demonic group, is in captivity in hell. The Bible says in Jude chapter 1 verse 6, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these God has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. These individuals, these demons are in captivity in hell. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. And in the Bible there are several different words that are used for hell. This word is Tartarus. T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. Tartarus. And it means the place of punishment. The place of confinement. That that he sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Half or at least a section of these demons that fell, God has reserved in hell, in, in punishment, in judgment. But it is possible that these individuals are the ones that Revelation chapter 9 is talking about. In Revelation chapter 9, it says that in the last days, God will release those demons in hell, in confinement, upon the earth in those last days. It is going to be so bad, so terrible, that now all of the demonic foes come against humanity. There is another demonic group, and this demonic group is free for now. I want you to listen as I read to you one of the stories in in the Gospels about Jesus' life in Luke chapter 8 and beginning in verse 26. So the disciples and Jesus arrived in the land of the uh, Gerasenes and across the lake from Galilee. And as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons, stop for a moment, this is a man possessed. This is the word that the Bible uses. He is possessed by demons, plural, came out to meet Jesus. Homeless, he had lived in a cemetery for a long time. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell to the ground before him screaming, Why are you bothering me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of this man. Now listen to how he's describing this. It wasn't 24-7 that this demon or de- and demons were taking control of this man, but they often took control of this man. There were times in which this man just acted normal, but this man had so many episodes, so many difficulties that were so bizarre of the control of these demons in his life, he lived in a cemetery because he couldn't live with anybody else. And oftentimes, they would control this man. Even when he was shackled with chains because he was doing so many bizarre things, he simply broke the chains. Wow. He broke the chains and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. 
What is your name, Jesus asked. Legion, he replied, for the man was filled with many demons. Now stop for just a moment. There's a conversation going on. Jesus is having a conversation with someone. Is he having a conversation with the man or is he having conversation with the demons inside the man? It is so obvious he's having a conversation with the demons inside the man. The demons are inside the man and they're having conversation with Jesus, but they're using this man's vocal cords to communicate with Jesus. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is hell. Do not put us in confinement with the other deacons that are demons. (laughs) Boy, that did not come out right at all. We have the greatest deacons in the whole world. Let me start over. Do not put us in consignment with the other demons. How do you get yourself out of this moment? I don't. In the bottomless pit. So, just listen to me now. Verse 32, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons pleaded with him to let them enter into the pigs, and Jesus gave them permission. So the demons came out of the man and entered into the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake where they drowned. Is this a weird story or what? Come on, this is weird. What do you do with this? Beside make grammatical mistakes from time to time. What do you do with this? Actually, there are several stories in the life of Jesus in which he deals with demons. And though the stories aren't identical, they have very much of the same pattern that is in this story. Over the course of the last few decades of my ministry, I've had an opportunity to talk to so many missionaries who have been on foreign fields who have dealt with these kinds of things. They have dealt with demonology and, and all of the issues that are very similar to this particular story. One of those missionaries is a man named Alan Avery, and Alan Avery was in charge of the African Outreach Ministry, and this church was a partner with that ministry for many, many years. Uh, Alan passed away a few years ago. He and I had become friends, and I preached his funeral in in this auditorium. And Alan and I would have conversations. He is, he was Dr. Alan Avery because he had, he had gotten his doctorate and he did his doctoral thesis on demonology and missions simply because he had experienced so many of these kinds of stories in his ministry that he had to work through what is going on and he ended up writing a dissertation on it. 
And he said to me that one of the stories that happened in his life is that he was ministering in one of these countries and a young man came up to him, walked up to him, and this guy was not a Christ follower. And this, this individual came to him and said, uh, I've got so many bizarre things happening to me. I have no control over myself at times, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to exist anymore, how to live anymore. And I'm asking you, I've tried everything. I can't get on the other side of this. Would you pray for me? And so Alan began to pray for him, and Alan said that what happened was immediately he went into a trance-like state, breathing heavily, and he began saying to them, some of the most vile things about God and about them and about other things. And he said, and all of it was in fluent English. Fluent English. But he said, the problem is this guy did not know any English. He, he didn't speak English. He had never studied English. He had never spoken English one time in his life. But suddenly, under the control of this demon, he is speaking fluent English. And Alan said that he prayed and he took authority over that, that demon. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of Christ's blood, he cast that demon out of this man. And when this man came to know Christ as Savior, accepted Christ as a Savior, he never experienced this again. I can't tell you that I understand all these things because I don't. I can't say to you that I'm some authority on demonology because I'm not. But there are some things that I can see from God's Word that it teaches us about this. The Bible teaches us that demons are real. The Bible teaches that demons can possess unsaved people who surrender their heart to an area of weakness. Demons can also oppress Christ followers who surrender our heart to a particular area of weakness in our life. He can oppress Christians, but he cannot possess Christians because we are possessed with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, do you remember what happened on the night before Jesus was crucified? That night he was betrayed. They were there in the upper room, and they were taking the Passover, and we call it the Lord's Supper now, the Seder. And as they were taking that, Jesus turned to Judas and said, whatever you're going to do, go do it now. And immediately Judas got up and left. And he went to go betray Jesus to the high priest. And the scripture says, and immediately Satan entered into Judas's heart. They're not, that verse is not talking figuratively. It's talking literally. Satan actually entered into Judas's body. He was possessed by Satan himself. Every year we grow further and further away from World War II. It becomes further and further away in our memory and a little foggier every single year. 
And there are new generations emerging since World War II who do not know anything about World War II and maybe don't even care about it. But the problem is, is that what happened in World War II is something must, that must never be repeated again. It was the personification of evil like I have never heard of before. The whole Nazi thing, the, the whole Nazi regime and, and the, the, the uh, uh, conspiracy between the Nazi Germany and Japan and, and uh, Italy and all of that trifecta that, that happened that brought into this world the, the killing of millions and millions and millions and millions of people because of the great evil of Nazism. I've done a lot of study on this topic, partly because my father fought in World War II in the South Pacific and was in almost every battle in the last two years of that war, but also because of just my interest in that part of history. And what many people are not aware of is that not all, but some of the German generals were heavily into the occult, into Satanism heavily into the occult. And Hitler himself said that there was a continual presence with him everywhere that he called a spirit. There was a continual spirit, a presence, supernatural presence with him wherever he did, wherever he went, and that guided him. Of course there was. This man was totally possessed by evil, totally possessed with a demon. Our demons he was the personification of evil. The last thing that we need is neo-Nazism. Nazism is evil. Almost half a million Americans, soldiers, died in that war to stop that evil. That evil was demon-possessed. I don't mean to say to you, I understand all of this, but I do understand the face of evil. Last Sunday, I gave to you as we were working through the good guys, the angels, sort of a list of things that I've learned as I've just taken the passages of Scripture of Old Testament and New Testament about angels. So let me do the same about demons. First of all, the Bible teaches that demons are subject to the command of Jesus, and they understand a coming judgment awaits them. Jesus has authority over the demonic realm because Jesus is God who took on a body, and he has authority over these evil ones. But second of all, the Bible teaches that demons are also subject to those Christ gives authority to over them. Now, here's what I mean. When you go to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, there's a whole story. You ought to read it uh, at, an, at another time. You ought to read that story. And in verse 1, it begins this way. And now after this, Jesus appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to come 
to every city and place where he himself was going to come. There weren't just 12 followers of Christ. They were the inner circle. There were many followers of Christ, and among them, these 70 individuals that he, he uh, divided into pairs of two that went to each of 35 villages and cities to prepare them for Jesus' arrival. When you get to the end of the story, in verse 17, it says this, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In your name. Jesus had given authority to these 70, and the Scripture teaches that he has raised those who are Christ's followers up to be in authority so that he has given authority to us, and we'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. Third, Satan and his demonic organization are limited. This is good news, folks. They are limited in what they can do against the followers of Jesus Christ. They are limited. They must get permission from God to attack our lives. One great passage of Scripture that helps us to understand this high whole concept is in Job chapter 1. And we know the story of Job and how Satan came against him and all the terrible things that happened to him. But listen to what it says. Satan is actually complaining to God, and he says this in Job 1 verse 10, have you not made a hedge around Job? around his household and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of Job's hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. He is complaining, look at this hedge of protection you've made around him. And then Job began to ask for permission. At least God, lift a little bit of the hedge of protection so at least I can come after him and test him. You and I have a hedge of protection around us. This is the good news. But we also have times in which God allows us to go through the testing of that. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful who will not allow See, he's still sovereign. He's still in control of this moment. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, not if, but when, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. There are times in which God allows Satan to come after us and attack our lives or some demonic to come after us and attack our lives. So why? Why does this God who loves us so much allow this to happen? Because God knows this is how you and I grow in strength and power. This is how we grow in learning to trust him. This is how we grow in following him. These are these testing moments that develop, that strengthen us. By the way, when Jesus was in the flesh, the same thing happened to him. He went through these deep temptations, these deep trials in his life, all the way to the cross. And God the Father allowed God the Son to experience these moments 
because it is part of strengthening. It was part of accomplishing the will of God. You and I, this is what weightlifting is all about. You and I, when we lift weights, we lift weights for the reason of tearing down our muscles so that when they grow back, they grow back stronger than they were. It's the tearing down of the muscles and the growing back of those muscles that make us stronger. And when we go through trials and we go through difficulties and he allows the hedge to be penetrated, only in where he allows it to happen and to the degree he allows it to happen, you and I go through these trials and difficulties, but we are growing stronger. We are learning how to trust him more, and that's the purpose of them. So he allows Satan to penetrate, but only to the degree that he allows He will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able. Have you ever experienced a time in which you said, oh God, I cannot possibly go any more than this. I don't even know that I can go this far until I read that verse and he says, no, you can't because I would not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to deal with. And with each temptation, I will provide a door of escape. Now, you and I can choose not to go through the door of escape, and when we do that, we can actually give ground to Satan to build a stronghold in our life, but that was our choosing, not God's. What God wants to do is to grow us and deepen us and make us stronger and more trusting of him by providing the door of escape, and we trust him to go through that door of escape. Fourth, Satan has an evil organization by which he brings attacks against us. Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. There is the presumption that there are four levels of organization of Satan that Paul has laid out there for us principalities and powers, number three, rulers of the darkness of this world, and four, spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. None of these are human beings. All of these are part of the demonic realm. Now, how do I explain all of these? The first one's the easiest, the, the idea of principalities. Principalities We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That is a Greek word that is used that means a territory, a region that is under the supervision of someone that the person overall has given authority to. Imagine the Roman emperor, and he gives different territories under the control of certain individuals that he trusts to be over them. This is the same concept. Principalities are that region in which Satan is given a powerful demon control over that region. And we get insight into that in a passage of Scripture, a very strange passage of Scripture, found in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel is praying to God, would you explain this? Would you help me with this issue? And he prays and prays, gets no answer, no answer for the longest time. Why isn't God answering? And then suddenly the answer comes. But the explanation is so out of the box. 
The explanation is that an angel was sent as a courier to answer that issue, but that angel was held up by the demon that was over that principality. And that demon was so strong, this angel could not get through. So the angel went back and got Michael the archangel to assist him. And then through Michael the archangel's power, was able to get to Daniel. That is strange. Well, pastor, explain that. I wish I could. There's so much of this I don't understand. I don't grasp. I know what it says, but how to put it together. But this whole concept of principalities is that in a region, a powerful demon has been given control. There is a powerful demon that has been given control of the region of the United States of the region of Russia, of the region of China, of the region of Iran. Do you see the idea? And there are many times that I believe there is a powerful demon that has been given control over the United States. Principalities, the second is powers. And the only way I know to understand powers is if, if the guy in charge of, of this principality we call the United States, if there's a guy there, then the others under him are sort of lieutenants, the powers. And then under them are the rulers of the darkness in this world and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. And the Bible does not give the details of that. So what does he mean? He means that there is a network of evil all over the world under the controls of principalities all the way down to you and me of coming at us, of coming to attack us. It's the best I know. This is not good news. But I've got good news for you. The good news I have for you is that the dark side is fighting from a position of defeat. It doesn't matter what this organization is. It doesn't matter what the principalities and powers and the darkness and, and the... Uh, it doesn't matter. Because the dark side is fighting from a position of defeat. Satan is fighting from a position of defeat. He already knows he is defeated in the world. He knows that. It was the cross of Jesus Christ that defeated him. He thought that the cross was his defeat. But he did not understand that the cross of Jesus Christ was his defeat. It was his failure. The cross of Jesus Christ was his payment for you and me. His payment for you and me. He paid the price for our sin. And the cross of Jesus Christ became Satan's humiliation. And the resurrection of Christ demonstrated that he had conquered death and sin and hell. And that you and I could know God and have a relationship with God and be a part of the family of God and be forgiven forever. And that we could have the power of God resident in us. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is about. And he knows he's defeated. 
He's been shamed in the defeat, and he knows it, and he knows what's coming. Satan's goal is to take as many people into destruction with him as he possibly can. Don't let him take you. Don't let him take you. His goal is to take as many people with him. Knowing he is beaten, he wants to take as many people with him as he possibly can. Matthew 25, verse 41 says, and then he will also, Jesus talking, then he, God will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. Hell was made for the devil and demons. God did not create hell for people. He created hell for Satan and his demonic realm. And then God has done everything possible to keep you and I from going that direction. He came. He took on a body. He lived just like you and me. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose again from the grave. And he says to you and I, receive me. I'll make you my child. I'll love you. I will give you a place in heaven forever. I have conquered death and hell. Come and be a part of my family. I've paid the price for you. You don't have to be good enough to go to heaven. Nobody can be good enough to hope, go to heaven. You can come on the finished work of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ who died for you. Give your heart to me. And still people say, no, I will not do it. I will not follow you. And so when they make that decision, they go to where the others who made that decision, Satan, his demonic realm, go. But it is not God's desire that you go. you got to decide to reject God. And I'm asking you today, don't do that. If you've never given your heart to Christ, give your heart to the Lord today. Don't go that way. Give your life, your heart to Jesus Christ. By faith, I accept Jesus as my Savior. Make that decision, oh God, I want to know the God that made me. I welcome you into my heart. Change me. Make me a new person. Be the God of my life. I yield my life to you. And he'll save you and forgive you and put his arms around you and love you and you become a member of his family. Do that today, but to do nothing is to make a decision to reject him. Give your heart to Christ. Right through the center doors and across the short foyer in the room we call the Next Step Center, we have ministers there who will spend time with you and show you how can you know Jesus as your Savior. There are Christians in this congregation today, and you know Christ. You've given your heart to him, but you have given ground to some area of your life, and you know it, and he's already built a stronghold in your heart. Come and recommit your heart by faith and be free of the stronghold. Open your heart to repentance before him. 
And there's some of you that are here and God's been speaking to your heart. You know Jesus is your Savior. You're visiting this church and there's a sense in your heart, this is my church. I feel like home here. Come and make this your home. Come take the hand of one of our ministers in the Next Step Center, right through the center doors, across the short foyer, in that room called the Next Step Center, and say, I want to be a member of Sugar Creek. What is God leading you to do this morning? Say yes to him. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And today we ask, Father, that you would move in the hearts of men and women, of teenagers, of boys and girls, to say yes to Jesus Christ. I commit my heart by faith to Jesus Christ. Move in hearts today, Father, to recommit, to join this church, whatever you're wanting to do in their lives today. Move in hearts today to say yes to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.